Look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that consensus has deemed important. Thus, I created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. This month, I'm exploring some racial reckoning films as recommended by Mark H. Harris of BlackHorrorMovies.com, and in this week's episode, I'll be talking about 2019's Ma. Um, A not great film, also not a terrible film. Um, Certainly, I don't think it deserved the, uh, the critical lashing that it received, but also... Um, it's, uh, it's, it's not going to be one that, (laughs) like, Get Out, which I have previously covered, is going to be, um, inspiring, um, studies in academia or, um, paving any paths or shifting any paradigms. But, um, this is a, a, a fun, um, interesting, but also, um, not problematic, troublesome kind of film, at least in the sense of, um, it's got some, it's got some problems, and I think that, to be com- completely honest with you, a lot of those problems come down to um, the direction of uh, Tate Taylor because um, Tate Taylor is, uh, I-, I think we can all agree, not a great <laughs> a director. Um, but it is but it, its strengths or the a lot of the fun and a lot of the interest and kind of engagement with the movie all has to, I think, come or or, or all. Credit is due to uh, the casting of Octavia Spencer, which is also the beginning of the conversation of what makes this film worth watching and worth discussing and um, worth engaging with. Because as Mark said on the introductory episode for Racial Reckoning Films, um, the, the role of Ma was not written to be specifically an African-American character. Sue Ann was just written as kind of a regular white woman that basically had, had no backstory, was kind of one-dimensionally nefarious in um, seeking out these teens and seeking, uh, well, I guess you can't even say vengeance if she didn't have a background, but just kind of a, a, a one-dimensional, nefarious, evil person. And then um, once Tate Taylor got his hands on the script, approached Octavia Spencer, with whom uh, he had worked on The Help, and she was overly enthusiastic to uh, take on the role. Uh, you know, she's been quoted as saying, uh, there just aren't roles that exist like this for black women. And I remember reading that, especially after seeing this movie, and being at first kind of, you know, scratching my head a little bit. Thinking like, well, you know, what <laughs> what kind of role is this really to covet, if you think about it? Because Ma is um, certainly a bad character, and I don't mean, um, uh, badly written or badly performed, but morally she is a bad character, she is a bad person, she is a, a bad, um, neighbor, she's a bad mother, she does many, um, atrocious and bad reprehensible things. Um, so what is it that would make this a role that is covetous to someone like Octavia Spencer, who has won, uh, an Academy Award and is commonly thought of as, um, a fantastic supporting actress, and that's really what it comes down to, supporting actress. Um, 
this is a character in which she is, or, or this is a film in which she is not a supporting character, she's not the lead character, but she is, as I have discussed in uh, many episodes from many films before, I'm thinking specifically about the queer vampire cycle when it came to uh, Chris Sarandon in Fright Night, or um, Kiefer Sutherland's character in The Lost Boys, she is, as is the case with most horror films that go back even to the iconic horror films such as Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th, Ma, Sue Ann, Octavia Spencer is the most interesting character in this entire film. She's not the character that we relate to, she's not the character that we are rooting for, but she is the most interesting character. And I think that's what she meant when she said they, they just don't write roles like this for black women. You know, even the role that she won an Academy Award for in The Help, or even, um, you know, to a certain extent, um, the, the, the smash box office success, Hidden Figures. This idea is that um, a lot of times um, black women are written to be supporting characters for other people. They are not necessarily the ones that take the lead, the ones in which the film revolves around. They are there to support the goals and, and the furthering of those goals for someone else. Um, they don't they haven't historically gotten the the privilege of being the interesting one, the one that we are um, engage with all the time that they are on the screen. And that's what we have here with Ma. That's what we have here with Octavia Spencer's performance specifically. Once Tate Taylor got his hands on the script and once he approached Octavia Spencer, maybe it was the other way around, but I do know for a fact that the the backstory of Ma, of Sue Ann, the backstory of this character who had been wronged um, when she was a youngster, um, I can't even say wrong, uh, she was sexually assaulted, let's be blunt about this, um, what happened to her in that closet when she thought she was... Um, uh, meeting up with um, with Ken, I believe his name is, or, or no, Ben, sorry, as played by Luke Evans, um, that was sexual assault. This is a character who is sexually assaulted, um, and a character that harbors this rage and this grudge against these people that wronged her for such a long time, for decades, and then revisits that rage not only against them, but also against their children. Sounds a little bit familiar, right? Sounds a little bit kind of like Friday the 13th. I'm sorry, don't tweet at me. A little bit like Nightmare on Elm Street and Freddy Krueger, this character who something terrible happened to him, and now granted with the Freddy Krueger character, of course he did terrible things first, but something terrible happened to him and so he revisits these atrocities on um, the, the kin, not the kin, but the children, the progeny of the people that wronged him. Ma is doing the same thing. Suan is doing the same thing. And... That backstory, this idea of, of her being someone who is, has been victimized and um, because she has not escaped from this environment, because she grew up in this small town in which she has always been basically the token black person, that environment that fostered the kind of abuse that happened to her, the environment that allowed for her victimization to occur, she has not escaped from that. Not only that, but the adults, the now adults who were the teens that did it to her, they have not escaped either. So they have, it's been a continually, a continuous exposure and bringing up in this environment that 
allowed for people like her to be victimized and that um, freed the perpetrators from consequences. She has not escaped from that. They have not escaped from that. So she is a victim of a system that has perpetrated these people to be the, the way that they are. That backstory did not exist in the original script. It was only once Tate Taylor approached Octavia Spencer, they started fleshing out this backstory, giving Ma a little bit more depth. And once again, this is not the character that we are rooting for. This is not the character that we hope to achieve uh, her goals, because her goals are basically um, the murder of everyone, I think. Uh, we can be uh, pretty on board with that. Uh, her, her goals are revenge. This is not something that we have, that, that we do like or that we should not like as a society. So she is not the character that we are rooting for, but because she is has the most depth, because she is so much more interesting than these bland kind of milquetoast teenagers or these um, ignorant and uh, narrow-minded adults... Every time she is in a scene, every time she is on screen, we are intrigued or we are curious as to what is she going to do? What are her motivations? And by fleshing out that depth and by seeing that she has been a victim, just like Jason Voorhees was a victim, just like to an extent Freddy Krueger was a victim, by being the the villain in this, by being the villain of this horror franchise, well, not franchise, I'm sorry, there's only one film, but by being the big bad, she is the most interesting character. She is making us question what she is going to do next. She's uh, always puts us on edge when she is in a scene with our teen, our innocent but bland teen characters. She has a, she commands a presence and she commands attention and she commands our investment, you know? I think that's what Octavia Spencer meant by saying these kind of roles have not been really written for black women. It's not that, you know, it's not that she's saying that, um, you know, villain roles haven't been written for black women, though that certainly is the case. It's not that she's saying, like, we need to have more bad people, um, you know, or, or we need to have more black women portray more bad people. She's not saying that. She's saying the roles, the interesting roles, the, the kind of roles where whenever this character is on the screen, we are intrigued and we are afraid and we are wondering. Our attention hinges on her presence in a scene. Our investment hinges on her presence in a scene. Those kind of roles haven't been written for black women historically. That's what she's saying. So it's not that Ma has to be redeemed. It's not that she has to do something good at the end. But it is the fact that of all the, character we, all the characters we know in this film, all the characters that we see uh, their day in and day out, um, all the characters that we know of, uh, you know, to a certain extent, what has led them up to this point, hers is the one that is the most in-depth. Hers is the one that if we cannot relate to, we can at least understand. So, you know, the, the, basically our, our, our surrogate uh, into this movie is Maggie, uh, played by Diana Silvers. Um, she's not a bad person. Um, she's not a bad character by any means. But she's also nothing, you know, that we haven't seen from, a, you know, the, the, the final girl type in these movies before. She's um, pretty innocent. 
inexperienced, naive. It's actually um, a little cute kind of seeing her relationship with Andy develop, even though Andy is as bland as bland can possibly be. But because this is Maggie's story, we, we, you know, we, it's fine that Andy is bland. You know, it's fine, that, you know, that Andy is the one instead of the roles being flipped where his is the one that his is a role that gets developed where it's like, oh, well, here's this generic person on my arm that, you know, could be any one of a million other people in, in the world, basically. Um, we know what Maggie wants um, and we are kind of, uh, you know, invested in her achieving that. Um, but we also kind of see her foil in, in, in Ma, in Sue Ann, in the sense of, uh, you know, she was a character once who wanted something um, and not only didn't, didn't achieve that, but was led to believe she was going to achieve that and was instead victimized. You know, you almost kind of get the sense that, um, you know, here by the grace of God go I, um, that if things turned out differently for Maggie, she could have become a character like Sue Ann, except... There is a different dimension added by making her, as I said, kind of this this only black woman in this small town. And without it being explicitly about race, at least in the sense of the you know there's no one that there's no character in this that that hurls any um, racial epithets at someone. Um, there's no one that kind of has a uh, you know a diatribe or a monologue about. Um, racial justice or racial tension or anything like that, but just the inclusion of the Ma character makes it, adds a subtext to it. And I found that super interesting because, you know, as Mark said in the introductory episode, and as I've tried to reiterate, I, I can't even say I've tried to reiterate, I know I forgot about it in, in the Get Out episode, but how each of these films are talking about a different aspect of racism. We had um, gentrification in People Under the Stairs. We had um, fetishism of, you know, African-Americans in Get Out. And in Ma, we have uh, tokenism. Now, does anyone say in the flashbacks that Sue Ann is getting picked on because she is an African-American woman? No. No one says that. Not even, not even grown-up Ben says anything about that. Not even teenage Ben says anything about that. But we do have a story here where there's a teenage girl who is manipulated, who is led to believe something, and then she is assaulted. And that character is the only African-American woman in that story. That says something. That says something about these people, that says something about this small town, that says something about the attitudes of an environment that would foster this kind of attitude from these kind of people. And there's even that scene at the end when, you know, Ma is, is trying to seek her revenge on everyone and she she has um, Darrell, well, she has all the kids kind of drugged and passed out in the basement and, you know... Uh, we have the, uh, I forget, the, the, all the men in this uh, movie are just so interchangeable. We have Andy, I know, who is the love interest. The other guy, Chaz, of course his fucking name is Chaz, but he's the handsome one. He's got the washboard abs, so what does she do? She burns his washboard abs with a with a, 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 a an iron, a heated iron. Everyone is kind of getting a punishment which is specific to their character. And what does Darrell get? Darrell gets his face painted white. 
They have they only have room for one of us, she says to him. Just kind of this idea of, once again, this ingrained inherent tokenism in this environment, in this movie, in this town, in this world. There can only be one of us, she says to him. And I find it very interesting that um, with that subtext, um, with the, the context and the implications that this film adds by casting um, Ma as a woman of color, that it, it, it leads or, or it lends a different implication and, and different weight behind different bits of dialogue and even different scenes. I'm thinking specifically of at the very end when the kids are finally saved, when, um, when uh, Erica, played by Juliette Lewis, um, comes by to, to save all the kids with Stu. Um, you know, the, the house is on fire and everything's kind of burning around them, and, and she's, she's pulling the kids out, and, and she, you know, she's standing there with Maggie screaming at, 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 at Ma, who is there you know, um, holding hostage her own daughter, Jeannie, basically. Um, in, in a Munchausen by proxy kind of situation that has played out throughout the film. It's interesting to me that Erica, you know, who, who has been revealed to be the one who was complicit um, in, in what happened to Ma, that she, she didn't say anything, she was observing, she knew what they were going to do to Sue Ann, to teenage Sue Ann, and she didn't do anything about it. And at the end, she's... She's there and she's screaming and she's she's apologizing and she's she's trying to say she's trying to apologize at least she's saying she's sorry she should have done something and she didn't and my immediate reaction to that was like this is too little too late lady but it's interesting if you take that that um that one moment it's too little too late and then you you kind of step back and and you apply that to society to the world to the to the the shit that's been happening in the past few months in this country in cities all over and this idea of a society a a, a demographic of white people and the, the question of your your being sorry your remorse your action now after 400 years of slavery, of oppression, of gerrymandering, of redlining, of um, all aspects of racism towards people who are not like them. This question of, is it too little too late? You had opportunities to do so many things so many times along the course of history and you're expressing remorse now. Is it too little too late? And this is a rhetorical question. I, I, I'm mainly just saying that I found it interesting that this, this one um, interaction was kind of a microcosm of kind of a societal questions at large. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry for what happened. Well, where were you a decade ago? Two decades ago, a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, where was your action? Where was your remorse? Where was your apologies then? I found that to be incredibly interesting. I also find it to be very interesting um, when you when you look at the 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 relationship between uh, Sue Ann and her daughter Jeannie. Um, and and she is she's a terrible mother. She's objectively a terrible mother. 
when she, you know, leaves the room, she says, like, Mama loves you. And she says it in such a flat way that, like, okay, you don't actually believe that this woman loves her daughter. You believe that this woman um, wants what she thinks is best for her daughter, not what the daughter thinks is best for her. And and it, it's this, you know... I, I know at first I was kind of thinking like how can I how can I like this woman how can I have sympathy for this woman when she's objectively shitty to this entirely innocent person who is her own daughter but then you know you think of things about how like a a a, a country an institution a an environment that creates such power structures where there is a hierarchy of, you know, who gets what preferential treatment, who has the power. And when, when there's, when it's white people at the top of that, the victimization trickles down. It's not just that there are the perpetrators and then one solid block of victims. I mean, there are, but there are levels in between those. Jeannie is also a victim because she has been victimized by her mother who has been in turn, victimized by people above her, and how this, you know, to, to put it quite crassly, shit trickles downhill. You know, you, we, we, we saw that in, I don't know if anyone saw The Nightingale, uh, Jennifer Kent's follow-up to The Babadook. Um, but that was, you know, the, the our lead character was a woman who was raped by a military officer, by, by someone who was above her in uh, social and financial, in, in every type of way possible. And then to seek revenge on him, she, she, she basically forces a, an indigenous uh, tribesman to be her guide, and she is shitty to him. Because she has been victimized, yes, but she, she, she sees him as even below her. That if there is a, a top of a social and, and you know, um, hierarchy with a, you know, a white male, then the, then the very bottom is going to be a non-white person. And it's this idea of how victimization perpetrates itself. And I see that in the relationship between Sue Ann and, and her daughter. And so this is why I think it's so fascinating that Octavia Spencer took this role and that they added these dimensions to this role. And, you know, like I said, Tate Taylor, not a great director. Um, there's not a whole lot of nuance to this movie that exists outside of Octavia Spencer's performance, I think. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to kind of be able to blend, you know, um, moods together. It, it's one thing to sort of um, have both empathy and kind of disdain for a character at the same time. And we, we get that whenever Octavia Spencer is on screen, but... Outside of that, like, the, the film is either bland or bland when she's off screen and kind of exciting when she's on screen, and there's really no in-between. Tate Taylor doesn't do a great job of balancing mood and tone in the sense of, you know, having them coexist together. It's more there are scenes that do this and there are scenes that do that, and there's really not a whole lot of area where those things overlap. And if this, was, if this was any actress other than Octavia Spencer, I don't know if I would have much positive to say about it because she does such a good job in her performance, in her eyes, in her expressions, in how she leads us on. 
Um, that it's a testament to her that I wasn't entirely sure how we should feel about her. Is she lying to us? Is she genuine? And yet we do see moments. There's that one where she's waiting. Um, you know, she she's she's bringing a you know a, a car of kids to her house, and she pulls over in front, and they drive by. They throw something at her windshield. They you know flip her off, and they, and, and and there are real tears because there's there's real emotion to her. This is someone who is not one-dimensionally nefarious. She is a bad person. Once again, that is clearly established. But this is also a person who came about or who turned into a bad person because of how, at first, she was... She had desires, and she had dreams for herself, and she had things that she wanted, and she had a heart. A heart that was broken, a body that was abused, and that was basically never healed you know hurt people hurt people i've said this on this podcast before and i and i I see that again in this movie in this performance in octavia spencer you know if if it was anyone else I, i don't know if they'd be able to find that balance if they'd be able to find that depth but she does a really wonderful job of it um but yeah, not really a, uh, you know, not really a great film, but not a terrible film either. I think if Octavia Spencer was not in this, then we would be leaning more towards terrible than we would be um, leaning towards good. Um, but, a, you know, a, a, a fun time. And, and some, you know, genuine laughs and some genuine heart-touching um, or heartwarming moments, I, I, I think I should say instead. Um and once again, whenever Ma is on screen, she is the most interesting character. I, I was always intrigued as to, like, what is she going to do? And of course, you know, um, one of the most fun things about slashers is just seeing what the villain is going to do to these bland teenagers. And yeah, there's some of that here. What is Ma going to do to these bland teenagers? More importantly, what's Ma going to do to their shitty parents? to the parents that perpetrated this shit, to the parents who apologized too late, or the parents who didn't intervene when they had the chance to. What is she going to do to them? So, it's a fun movie. It's not a great movie. It's not a terrible movie. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I saw it, and I'm, I'm glad that Mark uh, recommended it to me. Um, if uh, you have not seen Ma, it is easy enough to... Uh, get your hands on it. If you um, if you have a DirecTV subscription, I don't know why you would. It's free that way. Um, but if you also have a, a once again a a Cinemax uh, subscription, again, don't know why you would. It's free that way too. Otherwise, it's a it's a rental on AMC on demand. Every other way that you can get it is only to purchase it, which is very strange. But that's on Amazon, Vudu, the Microsoft Store, Redbox. Um, also on AMC On Demand, Google Play, and YouTube. Um, important to note, on Google Play and YouTube, it's going to be a bit more expensive of a purchase because uh, it's offered in 4K that way. Um, one thing that I do find um, also interesting about this movie is it ends in such a way that if the film was successful, you could see it being, uh, you know, opening itself up for a sequel. I mean, yes, she is um, trapped in a burning house, which is... Um, apparently inescapable, but we don't see her die. We don't see the ceiling collapse on her. We don't see a body. We don't see, 
you know, police or fire kind of coming in and finding her there. We just kind of have the house on fire as kind of a drone pulls away and um, the film cuts to black. So it could, in theory, be open up for a sequel if anyone were interested. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of interested <laughs> to see what that would look like. Um, always easy enough to get in touch with me if you have any thoughts on Ma or any of the movies that I have talked about during the month of October and uh, the racial reconciliation or racial reckoning films. Sorry. Um, you do movies badly at gmail.com is a way to email me. You can tweet at me at Nolan Fixes Teeth. You can chime in on the comments field on, by going to battleshipretention.com and finding I Do Movies Badly in the podcast drop down menu. Or you can even comment on uh, I Do Movies Badly.podbean.com uh, and catch up on any back episodes by going there or by going to um, iTunes, um, Google, Spotify, Amazon Music as well. So um, that does it for October. That does it for Racial Reckoning, um, which means, of course, that uh, next week is going to be November, and there's going to be a new guest and a new theme, both of which I have. Actually, for the first time in probably the history of this podcast, I have the rest of the year planned out, which isn't so impressive when you consider there's only two months, which means there's only two guests involved with that. But to start out November... Um, we are going to do, uh, we're going to bring back Benny Crown. You may remember Benny Crown because he came on last year to um, talk to me about the films of Abbas Kiarostami. Um, he's going to be coming back to be talking about some um, highbrow or art house horror films. Um, so that's going to be very exciting. Benny is, is very much, um, uh, we don't have a whole lot of overlap in the kind of things that we enjoy and don't enjoy. So when it comes to the horror genre, which I very much love, I am very curious to see what his approach to it is, what he finds to be horror and or horrific, and um, why he may prefer kind of a more esoteric or art house approach versus uh, you know something like a Friday the 13th or a straight up slasher. And then wrapping up the year, um, as is the Christmas tradition on I Do Movies Badly, I will be bringing back Alonzo Duralde, um, the co-host of the Linoleum Knife podcast and the author of Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas, and he's going to be talking about some Christmas horror films. And now that does mean that, yes, um, Halloween is over, but the horror continues, and if you have been paying attention to my podcast for a while, you'll know that basically back since... April or May, um, whenever I brought on uh, Jerry and Mike from The Pot and the Pendulum, um, every theme I've covered, every director I've covered, basically since then, has been horror-related, or at the very least, um, when it comes to the films of Benson Moorhead, genre-related, but kind of um, horror-adjacent, if you will. And I'll be honest that at first that kind of was um, coincidental, um, it started as just a, who was available, who could come on, and uh, what did you want to talk about? And then I, w I was on board for it. But then I realized, um, as I was uh, trying to book Mark in for October, I know I wanted to do something spe uh, special and specific when it came to horror. I knew I couldn't escape horror from October. I didn't want to try. But I realized that I had been kind of doing um, horror for a few months. And also then thought, looking back on this year on 2020 and how in many ways horrific um anxiety inducing uncertain and, and and kind of how scared 
I've been as an individual and how scared we've been as a society, I thought it was kind of fitting to just kind of keep going with it, keep leaning into the horror. Not because I'm necessarily inherently overly cynical or or pessimistic about the future, but just there's something that's kind of therapeutic and I think cathartic about dealing with the horror that you can deal with. You know what I mean? Like, one of the things which makes horror films, which makes haunted houses so entertaining is um, we allow ourselves to be scared. We open ourselves up to that fear because we know it's fear that we can overcome because we know that it's, it's fear that can be tackled because we know that at the end of the day, it's just fiction. And so, you know, I, like many people listening to this, I'm sure, are, you know, have um, very specific um, hopes for how November 3rd is going to turn out. Um, And if it doesn't turn out that way, maybe, you know, maybe November and December are going to be... How do we cope with that? Maybe on a superficial or even, you know short-term level we we uh, i can deal with it by engaging with horrors that i can overcome but i just figured we kind of lean into it because um i love the horror genre i love the the fictional universes that it set up I, i love the the rules that it lays out because there are rules that we inherently know and that we inherently know how to conquer and i think that that's kind of therapeutic and i think that's kind of relaxing Um, and also I just love Halloween, so why not keep it going for the rest of the year? So, um, that's November and December lined up. I'm excited about it. I hope that you are excited about it as well. And I hope that you have certainly enjoyed October, the racial reckoning films, the discussions of them, and, um, starting at the very beginning of the month, the conversation I had with Mark Harris, um, We are just a few days away from Halloween now, and clearly we are living in a pandemic, so I know that many people's usual plans, whether that be um, attending parties or going trick-or-treating, whether you are doing it with a group of friends or kids or what have you, I know that those plans are probably on hiatus, um, canceled uh, in the worst of of situations, or um, being done but with heavy uh, modifiers and caveats in other situations. Either way... Halloween is not going to be the Halloween that any of us are accustomed to. But having said that, whatever your plans are, whether it's going out uh, with a group of friends, whether it's just staying in, watching movies with the lights off, whatever it is, I hope that everyone has a happy and healthy and fun Halloween. If you are going out, wear a mask, wear a mask over that mask, Um, let's cut this shit out so that we can get over this pandemic and we can go back to, um, restoring some sense of normalcy, um, as soon as we possibly can. But, uh, please do protect yourselves, protect others, whether that be people you know and care about or people that you're just meeting for the first time. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, have a happy Halloween, and be sure to tune in next week where I'll be talking with Benny Crown about some highbrow horror, and where hopefully I will be just a little bit less ignorant.
This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.